So let's get into it. Uh, so today we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel 6. So we are going to be looking at the whole chapter. It is a bit of a long one, but it'll be good. Um, so it goes, David again brought all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from, the, from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim of the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah, Iho, and sons of Abinadab were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Iho was walking in front of it. David with all Israel was celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah reached out, his, out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen had stumbled. The Lord's anger burns against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, the place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord with, to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now, King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to, went to bring the ark of the God, God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and fattened calf. Ringing linen ephod, David was dancing with all his might before the Lord, and he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. She despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in place inside the tent of David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went home. When David returned home to be blessed in his household, to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half-naked in full view of all the slave girls and his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me, rather than your father or anyone in this house, when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by the slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Cool. So that was a super long one. We'll dive into that a bit more. Um, so first of all, we should probably start uh, talk about the context behind this specific story. So um, it follows the events of Saul's death in uh, 1 Samuel. And so when Saul died, 
David was actually anointed uh, king over Judah, which is the southern part of the kingdom. Whereas in the north part of the kingdom, Saul's son was actually anointed the king over Israel, uh, which is the northern part of the kingdom. And so they went to battle as they do in all of those times. And so Saul's son was ultimately murdered. And after that, David was actually anointed uh, over both Israel and Judah, or just Israel, we can call the whole kingdom. And then he then went to take over Jerusalem and made it the capital of the empire. And that kind of leads us into what's happening in our story today. So now that David was officially king over all of Israel, he established a capital from where he would be able to rule the nation, which is um, it, sorry, Jerusalem, as we're speaking about. And so the very first thing on his mind to do as king was to bring the Ark of God into the city. So now, you and I might think that the Ark of God might seem kind of cool, right? Like, it's got, it's a big fancy box, it's covered in gold, it's got a couple of cold cherubim on top, and uh, I mean, it would be worth a pretty penny, right? Like, but to David and all of Israel, that Ark represent, represented so, something so much more to them than just a shiny gold box. See, to the Israelites, the Ark of God was the very representation of God's presence that was available to them. So one of the first places that we see that this is the case is in Numbers 10, 35 and 36, where it says, Whenever the ark set up, Moses said, Rise up, Lord. May your enemies be scattered. May your foes flee before you. Whenever it came to a rest, he said, Return, Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. The ark was in the lead when the Israelites were in the desert and Moses would call for God's presence to rise up and go before them or return to them and to the ark when they were in their camping spots. And we also read that in 1 Samuel 4.4, it states that the Lord is enthroned between the cherubim. So So what David was doing here was actually so, so much more than just bringing a trinket back to the city. He was making sure that his first decision as king was to bring the very presence of God into his city. David could see no other way that he could reign as king without having God at the very center of his rulership. So David determined to bring back the ark, brings 30,000 men along for the journey. And the journey was at least like 14 k's each week. That's like walking to Parramatta and back. And so as they go, they finally get there, and so they pack it up in a new cart, and so they start bringing it back, and all, all the 30,000 people are singing and dancing and playing music and having a great time before God because to them they were, they were so excited that they could be bringing this physical representation of God's presence back to the capital city, and they would be establishing a new, this nation under God or reestablishing their nation under God. And so they're traveling and they're celebrating and they get to this threshing floor. And so the threshing floor, just quickly, is a big stone surface. It's where they would process the wheat. And so just a useless piece of information there, but, you know, always good. Um, And all the while the crowd is singing and dancing and celebrating. I'm sure you can imagine it, like 30,000 people. It's the biggest event you could possibly see back then. And suddenly one of the oxes carrying the cart trips And with ninja-like reflexes, Urza reaches out in his hand and stops the cart from falling. But God strikes him down where he stands because he was touching the ark. 
I mean, at that point in time, you would have been able to hear a pin drop. The whole party would have stopped. Everyone would have been shocked. I mean, it's shocking enough for us to read it alone, let alone actually being in attendance and seeing it happen. I mean, Uzo was just trying to help, right? So why would God strike him down? Well, to answer that question, we have to look back a couple hundred years after, before that. God had already warned against this sort of situation, and he says it in both the book of Numbers and in Exodus. He warns that the Levite priests were meant to carry the ark via wooden poles and were never to touch the ark. They were, in fact, they weren't even supposed to look directly at it unless they die. See, God didn't want anyone to die touching the ark. In fact, they weren't die yeah, while moving the ark. And that's why he had lovingly given that instruction on how to carry it safely. So we have to understand here that God didn't want Uzzah to die. He didn't want anyone to die. But upon the ark was that very presence of God. And no man can sin with sin can possibly stand in that presence of God's holiness and possibly live. So it might be easier to say here that, or it might be easier to understand that God's wrath broke out against Uzzah's sin in his holy presence rather than Uzzah himself. And I mean, right there is a great lesson already from, that we can learn from this. From sin comes death. And like Uzzah, we wouldn't be able to stand in God's presence. And that's why Jesus had to die for us, so that the veil could be torn and we could touch the ark. We could experience that very presence of God. So, but with the death of David, uh, with the death of Uzzah, David's emotions were running hot. I mean, he was angry and he was afraid. And while we may be tempted to look at it as David being angry at God, it's not necessarily the case. David was honestly more likely angry at himself. He knew that he had done wrong by not having the proper respect for God and his commands and how to carry the ark, and it led to the death of another. It's all in the like line, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? David, riddled with guilt, questions his worthiness to receive the presence of the Lord and has a rightful fear of God, the power of God. So he leaves the ark to the house of Obed-Edom, who is likely a Levite priest and a God-fearing man. He took the ark, and so Obed-Edom's family took the ark of God and was blessed with the presence of God. But the story doesn't just end here. It wasn't just left there. David hears about this blessing. And once again, he seeks to bring the ark of, the God, of God back to Jerusalem. But this time, he does it with proper reverence to God, following his command they carried the ark with wooden poles and made burnt offerings to God. So this grand celebration before God continued. And David was overjoyed with that the ark was, um, and God's presence was finally being brought into the city. And he was dancing with every single ounce of his strength in this linen ephod, which is just a priestly set of garments. So seeing him dance around the way that he was, he probably looked like an absolute idiot. I mean, he definitely didn't look like a king was meant to. So his wife, Michael, the daughter of Saul, sees that David in her eyes is acting like an idiot, and she absolutely hated it. I mean, he wasn't acting like a king was meant to at all. He was just acting like a fool in front of the slave girls, to the point where he may as well have been half naked. But David's response to her accusation is the hinge of our message today. 
He replies, It was before the Lord who chose me, rather than your father or anyone from his house. When he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people of Israel, I celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. See, to David, he was doing none of this. There's the show of it. He wasn't trying to impress anyone, and he wasn't trying to look like the most holy guy in the city. From bringing up the Ark of the Lord into the city to dancing in the streets like an idiot, he did it all to honor God and God alone, so that God would be revered as king over Israel. Now, this chapter, and the reason I chose it is because it's honestly one of my favorites in the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament, because it says so much about both David and God. See, when we look at David in this story, we can see exactly what the presence of God means to him. It's his very first concern. Even when he's becoming king, he just wanted to bring the presence of God into the city and have him as the ruler of the nation. David knew that he was absolutely nothing without the presence of God. He wanted to establish a Nathan and everything he did on that presence, and he wanted everyone to know and celebrate it too. So what does the presence of God mean in your life? David saw the brave contact with God's presence kill a man, and the best that David could possibly have was to have the representation of God's presence in his city, and yet he brought that many people to celebrate and to rejoice over the fact that he was bringing it in. And he was happy to look like a fool doing it. See, unlike David, God's powerful and holy presence is available to us in the fullness. And we won't die like Uzzah. We were offered it freely through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that the Holy Spirit could come and rest upon us and dwell within us. All of us Christians have this presence, the very presence of God. So... We really have to ask ourselves the questions then. Do we genuinely want that presence of God at the center of our life as king? Do we want to make God the center of our decision making? Can I actually act like a fool for God if I need to? Because from what we read here, God's presence is everything. It's the reason that David was Israel's greatest king and a man after God's own heart. It's because he always sought God first. It's because he always sought that presence first. So church, let's really choose to be more aware of God's presence. I think, and think about what it really means to have it, because I'm sure if David were here, he would find that there's no greater gift that we've ever been given than having God's presence in full. It's the best thing that we can possibly have. It's all that the people of Israel ever wanted, and we have that every day. So are we really honoring that, and are we really respecting that? So church, as we wrap up our sermon here today, how about we just ask God for his presence again and just invite that upon yourselves. Invite him into your heart and really just think about what it really means for you to have the presence of God. Let's pray.
Father God, wouldn't you just come and dwell in us and among us, Lord? Wouldn't you just help us to love you deeper, Father God? To see your presence for what it is, it's the holy and powerful, amazing thing that it is, Lord. And help us to care and love it so much, Father God. Help us to see with eyes like they did, Father God, back then. To know that it's not just something trivial to have you at the center of our lives, Father God, but it is everything. It's, it's, worth, it's worth giving our life for. It's worth acting like an idiot for. Because you're our king. And you're our God. So God, wouldn't you just come and be the king of our lives today, Father God. Wouldn't you come and help us give it all up to you today, Father God. Lord, we just we want to give you all, Father God. Help us to give you all again today, Father God. In Jesus' name.